Welcome to the Urban Gaia Podcast. I'm your host, Missy Greenleaf Flynn. The sign on my garden gate says, Sempre in restauro, always under restoration. My garden has taught me that I too am always under restoration. And in the garden, I've found restoration and healing and God. You're always welcome in my garden. Come on, I've saved a spot just for you. Joseph Kovic, and he is the head of Sacred Table. I just wanted to chat with him about how we got how we got started, how um, what this is about, and some stuff like that. So, yeah, let's get started. Well, we're standing, we're sitting in a garden. You can hear some of the ambient noise, the the, the garden noise, uh, and it's a beautiful day. So, yeah, if you Rewind back to about about a year and a half ago. We were in the midst of the pandemic, and one uh, charge of mine was to create community. If it was a, in essence, started out the image of looking at what church planting would look like, and that's changing over over the time now. You know, the, the old traditional model is being um, also supplemented with new creative Episcopal communities. So as I was wandering through the, the pandemic and not able to pull people into a, into a coffee shop, focus group to talk about what, you know, a radically loving, inclusive community uh, of, of spiritual creatives would look like, a friend of mine, a master gardener said, hey, by the way, I know of 18 raised beds and uh, just west of Hilltop area in Columbus, sitting here and available. And so that made sense. Outdoors, a garden as a container, creates community, and it also creates a way to give back to the earth and to the environment and also to give back to human beings as a form of food and relationships. So the garden uh, became Sacred Table, and out of this garden... Last year, for our first go, we we harvested for our first go about 800 pounds, and we gave it all away. We gave it away through local free store and uh, a uh, a local Yemeni uh, refugee and Muslim community. And now we this year we've expanded. So the garden was birthed with a desire to create community and interfaith community, a gathering of people who, who love gardening and harvesting and, and social justice when it comes to food deserts and food community. Um, and then out of this, we'll grow in some form or fashion uh, an Episcopal gathering uh, as some form of dinner church to gather around the food to talk more deeply about, about food insecurity and food justice at a sacred table. That gives you some... And from there, we've got three three master gardeners with us, and three interns showed up out of the seminary, and, um, and Missy is hanging on, so thank you, Missy. <laughs> well, you know, I couldn't leave. <laughs> you get hooked yeah. into the garden. Yes. Um, so why, why Sacred Table? What, what's in the name? Well, yeah, what's in the name? You generally, when you, 
you seek to pull a community together, it, it grew out of listening. So the first year of the pandemic, just listening and following the hunger in a sure, new Episcopal community mode. So the more we began listening to the whole west side, the whole west side of Columbus, and a number of other church practitioners, such as St. John's and Franklinton, uh, and some other Methodist churches on the hill top, we began to see, well, can we create a community, a table where everyone is welcome and also make it a spiritually uh, rooted? And so we could, you know, so you're not only coming to the garden for a practical gardening experience, but you're also seeking ways of how God of the creation, uh, learning from our indigenous spirituality of our siblings. So Sacred Table grew out of that. It made sense to, to make it sacred and to make it a, an ever-widening table of welcome. Uh, so um, what are we growing this year, and how do we choose what we grow? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we learned last year, because ultimately, for us, Sacred Table is, first and foremost, listening to community, listening to the hungers, not only the physical hungers, but the spiritual hungers, and also the practicality of, of food preparation, because we've moved from kind of this farm-to-table to heart. So what we've been planting, you hold an eggplant in your hand, you know that eggplant represents a relationship. It goes to someone. And then is there a relationship to helping people learn how to prepare an eggplant? Or um, I think we're so bound in this grocery store where everything's hermetically sealed behind plastic. We don't know from earth, you know, to table. So last year we planted a lot of okra and tomatillos and found out that that didn't, you know, it, people don't know what to do with okra to a certain extent. Or most of the people that were, uh, were giving our food away to are tomatillos. The flowers are so pretty. Yes. Well, we all, if it's a pollinator, you know, we've learned, I've learned, and especially taking a class at Ohio State on urban master farming or urban farming, I've learned, uh, yeah, as you grow and you plant, you plant accordingly and compatibly and so, yeah, after last year's learning, this year we have garlic, uh, we have sweet potatoes, uh, Yukon gold potatoes, cucumbers, squash, tomatoes, a whole herb garden, um, and uh, celery, and peppers. Oh, what else? Um, oh, cold crop is in, and we've got kale, chard. Uh, we've got a whole strawberry patch, so we do have some fruit and raspberries, uh, blackberries going in. So what's new this summer? What, what are you planting instead what of What did we add new? We, I think we, we added more peppers and tomatoes, uh, more lettuce. Uh, we thought of planting, uh, more practical planting. Um, garlic is coming up. Um, and um, celery. We're giving that a go. And I think it's also giving it a go and seeing what, what works. Also learning about, you know, the, the bugs and the infestation with, you know, learning to plant compatibly. So, and even learning from permaculturists of how to plant accordingly. Um, and the, 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 the critters. Yeah. This is their gourmet have, restaurant. Yeah, last year we didn't realize 
when we planted, there was a groundhog already in residence inside the garden. And he began seeing the decimation of tomatoes. And unfortunately, groundhogs aren't polite. Where they don't finish their food. So they'll take three bites out of a zucchini and one bite out of a tomato. But last year, we figured out where he, uh, he, he or she was. We trapped the little one and um, we, we set it loose in another, we won't describe, we won't tell where we sent it set the little one loose at, but to go and forage elsewhere. And so this year, we've, we've scaled back, down. I think we have a bunny. Um, so we're working on that. Uh, hopefully that will be manageable. Yeah, the, the, um, the bunny ate all the tops off the kale, and we planted them anyway, and they seem to be they doing fine. <laughs> and we're hoping the bunny, yeah. I mean, the groundhog was pretty well locked in here, but... So we'll, but that's the beauty of a garden is that every, every living being has a relationship, even the pests. Um, can we plant kind of symbiotically or synchronistically that, that everything can work together accordingly? Um, but occasionally aphids, they're probably our, the bane of our existence, right? Yes, yes, I, I have aphids at home. I assume this is an organic garden. Yes, and we we use no pesticides, um, and big lots. This this is a campus, and um, and big lots first began this garden six years ago, and then they let it. They moved their headquarters, but they have been a wonderful partner of providing organic soil for us. Uh, they provide the water for us. Um, and a, it's a beautiful site. So, yeah, we we make sure that anything we use, we don't use pesticides, we don't use any chemicals. So, yeah, the entire garden is organic. Tell me about the honoring of the people who have been here before us, yeah. who are on this land before us, how that goes. Just we, one, we connect to, to the indigenous uh, community in uh, Ohio State, and um, we do a, a land acknowledgement. We recognize that, that this land was once a land of the Hopewell and, uh, and a number of other indigenous peoples. And so there is um, a deep desire to do an, to land acknowledgement, um, to recognize. And we also looking at relationships with some of the indigenous uh, communities in the Columbus area. And they have food trucks and indigenous food, and uh, you're interested in indigenous in, in native plants and indigenous plants. So our hope is to continue that. We, we definitely need to know that we are a part of a, we've inherited this, inherited this, and we need to realize those that walked before us um, that weren't white European, um, but also recognizing uh, more, you know, both the indigenous, but also looking at the refugee community of the, of the Yemenis and the, and the Latina community, uh, the black community and white community, that somehow this can also be a place of, of healing in a garden, um, of just bringing people together to share stories while they're planting and weeding is amazing. So, so, so who comes to the garden? Who, who's the typical? There is no typical. <laughs> we have, we've got 
an epis- Episcopal group. We have uh, we have uh, Meth- we have Methodist. We have Baha'i a Baha'i group whose interfaith and growing out of this. And then we've we've got a, a local a Druid group, very rooted in, in nature. Um, and we have you name it. I think it's growing a lot of relationships of of a diverse spiritual bent where we can share our stories. I can share my Episcopally Christian story and that journey of how food impacts and comes out of that with the sacrament and Eucharist. You know, but each faith tradition has a sacred understanding of, of food and earth. And so I think the goal of the garden is, is diversity, not only biodiversity, but human diversity. And then from that, um, each group will take back into their community, you know, learnings and relationships. Uh, I know I'm richer as an Episcopal priest, and our Episcopal community of Sacred, Ta- Sacred Table then will give birth to a dinner church of Eucharist. But this garden becomes a place of, of human human cultivation, relationship cultivating. So you know that we're big, part of a bigger human story than just, you know, just an Episcopal story, or even just a Christian story. There is a, there's a wide range of, of traditions. And even people who have, who have left spiritual, their spiritual journey, or, or put it in other containers, um, they've come and shared, enriched us with their stories too. Um, so I, the garden can be healing. I've run into people who, last thing I'll say is I've run into some people who have been deeply wounded by the church, deeply wounded by, you know, you name it, whatever denomination, the Christian church. And they've been finding in this garden that there are relationships with other Christians that, that can be life-giving and healthy and, and healing. Uh, and so again, I think the garden is a, just an awesome place for healing in multiple ways. That's great because it, it's um, it's healing for individuals, but it's also healing for relationship. I think it's a form of decolonizing, you know, our language. I mean, a garden, there is so, garden is about human experience. It's from seed to cultivation to watering and nurturing and nourishing to harvesting to giving away to cooking, feeding. It's just a cycle of life and I just found a garden. Death and resurrection. Amen. And so, from the from my perspective as a follower of Jesus and as a Episcopal priest, a garden gives birth to so many uh, well parables. Jesus loved you know, the agrarian society and the parables of the gardens. Man, they they right now in a pandemic is a health one of the healthiest ways of of encountering another. Uh, at the same time, they're trying to make the world that that much healthier and a better place. Great. Well, is there anything else you want to? Oh, I think. Chime in I with? think this is a good start. I think you need more stories. Yeah, like the last thing is your story matters, and I think the most important thing that the church, so my my perspective from the Episcopal Church, can do is really harvest stories. Every story matters, and um, so to me, uh, when I think of church planting or creating new Episcopal communities, it's got to be first beginning in story. Um, here it's a garden, 
another place, you know, it might be, uh, I don't know, a laundromat or a, uh, a shelter or a street corner or a coffee shop. We have to realize that God is already active in the world and we just need to meet God out here and not think that we're bringing some, some secret truth or special truth. We're just bringing ourselves and love and passion, mercy. And God is already active in the community. And, you know, God's in the soil. So we just have to pay attention. So that's it. Okay. Do you want to follow up uh, later and we can talk about more theological stuff? Sure, we can go deeper in biblical. My God, it's so <laughs> There's All so right. much. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Father Joe. Peace. Peace. I want to give a special thanks to my advisors, Dr. Elaine Nogura-Godsey and Kristen Elliott, who inspired me to use my voice. Our theme music is New Spirit, New World by Lobo Loco. Thanks for listening in to Urban Gaia Podcast. I'm your host, Missy Greenleaf Flynn. See you next time in the garden. I'll save you a spot.